Hey guys, hope you're doing well today. Uh, welcome to another installment of Christianity Proper, Proper Doctrine, Proper Life. Uh, wanted to hop on here today and do a podcast slash video on revivals, discernment, and warning. Um, this is, uh, it is a planned installment. However, I'm jumping into it uh, sooner than expected. Uh, I was still doing some research on all these things and watching some clips and uh, just keeping up with, with some of the stuff that's going on. But it, it, it's starting to gain even more momentum and it's getting more, uh, more traction on social media and everything else. So I think this is needed. Um, and, and I'll just be honest, this has been, this has been heavy on my heart and mind um, since the first day that I heard about um, the Asbury Revival, and then there's something called the Open Door Outpouring in Florida, and a couple of other revivals that all of a sudden are like, they're either breaking loose, breaking out, or they're ongoing, but they're all near the same time. And people are now begging for like more revivals to sweep the nation and, and so on and so forth. And, and I know that as believers, uh, we get excited about these things. Um, and true revival, genuine revival is absolutely, without question, something to get excited about, something to be thrilled about, something to praise God about. Uh, but I really, the, the point of this today, I'm not going to say uh, Asbury specifically. I'm not going to say that what is going on at Asbury, that God's not in it at all, or that it, that you shouldn't go, or that you should go, or anything like that. Today, um, I want to talk about the revival, some of the stuff that's going on, and some of them, I'm, I'm going to say plainly, they're not of God. They're, uh, they're evil. They're wicked. They are leading people astray. But when it comes to Asbury, this one's different. And that's really what I want to use that, the fact that it's different than what a lot of people refer to as revival or, or what have you, to give a call for discernment, a call for discernment. We are told from Scripture in 1 John to test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. There are false teachers. There always have been false teachers. There always will be false teachers. And we as believers are called to have discernment. And there's a lot going on uh, at this Asbury revival. And it's not um, it, it's not some of the wacky stuff that gets called revival sometimes. In fact, it's kind of seems to be on the polar opposite end of the spectrum. A lot of what people are saying is, oh, it's so peaceful there. Oh, it's so comforting there. Um, oh, there's just this, there's this desire to linger. There's this desire to stay because it is so peaceful. It's so comforting. And, and, and it's so wonderful to hear people singing together and praying together. And so again, I, I want to be clear when it comes to Asbury, when it comes to the Asbury revival that's taking place right now, or what's the revival so-called, this is not a podcast or a video to say it is a revival or it is not a revival. I want to focus in on Asbury more than the other stuff that's being called revival right now because much of that stuff is, um, to use a phrase that I like that um, a guy named, a pastor named Chris Rosebury uses, a lot of that other stuff that's getting called revival is cuckoo banana town. It, it, it's just wacky. It, it's blatantly unbiblical. It's blatantly heretical. And we will talk about that later towards the end of this podcast, towards the end of this installment of Christianity proper. 
I want to hone in on Asbury. And again, this is not going to be Caleb saying Asbury is or is not a revival. I'm using Asbury. We're going to talk about some of the stuff going on within that revival. I have been keeping tabs on it and watching videos and reading articles and listening to people that have actually been there, uh, been a part of it for a day or two, uh, or are currently still there and taking videos and, and things of that nature. And I want to use that to give a clear call for discernment among believers. When we hear things that excite us, when we hear things that we, we really want them to be true, we really want them to be a true move of God, or we want it to be something that is just life-altering, life-changing, we, we kind of already we start to get emotionally attached to it. And when our emotions lead the charge, when our emotions lead the charge, um, that's probably a sure sign that we're not going to practice much discernment. We're just going to follow our feelings. Uh, and that is actually, let's start there. That is actually something that has really stood out to me as I have read write-ups and articles and testimonies, read testimonies and, and listened to testimonies from those that are either still at the Asbury Revival or have gone and now they've returned home and they've written about it or they've shared about it on YouTube or on social media. Feeling. Feeling is such a huge part of what is going on at Asbury right now. Um, in fact, I wrote down a quote. This guy's name is Eric Allen. Eric Allen said, Sherry, that's his wife, Sherry and I had only been there, uh, and after a few minutes of singing, we were both moved emotionally and in tears because the presence of God was so real in that place. We could feel it. That's, I mean, that, that was actually the the foundation of his testimony. Me and my wife were there. After a few minutes of singing, we were moved to tears. We were, or after a few minutes of singing, we were in tears because we were moved emotionally. Because, and he says, because the presence of God was, was so real, because the, the presence of God was there, we could feel it. So feeling comfort again, and it, it comfort, peace, rest, freedom, all of these are words that if you look into these testimonies and you look into what's going on at Asbury, you're going you're gonna to see that those are key words. Uh, comfort, rest, peace, joy, freedom. Um, and and you'll, hear these th you'll hear that refrain repeated often. You will also hear uh, the presence of God is here. You can feel it. Um, it, it it's almost tangible. Uh, it's a sweet spirit. It's a, it's a loving spirit. You'll, so you start to catch like, oh, well, all of these people that are going and that are there, they are, they're using similar language. They're having a similar experience. So something is happening at Asbury. And, and I want you to consider that, that phrase. And because that's, it is obvious. Something is happening at Asbury. It has already been pegged as it's a revival. This is a call for discernment. This, this podcast, this is a call for discernment. So the thing about revival is in many, many, many ways, we can't accurately peg something as a revival until time has elapsed, much time after the event or after the occurrence has elapsed. Why is that? 
genuine revival always results in life change. When I say life change, I don't mean, oh, I had a life-changing experience or I had a life-altering experience. I mean life change from there was repentance, there was salvation, or either repentance and purification, sanctification of the saints. And that results in life change, meaning a more holy manner of living, a more righteous manner of living, um, a more biblical manner of living. And so right now, all we can accurately say as believers ought to be there is something happening at Asbury. There is a there is a movement, there is an event going on at Asbury. And then we need to examine the fruit. We need to examine what's going on. Uh, and we live in a day and age where people are recording this for us and we can go online and we can, we can hear the songs that they're singing. We can hear the people sharing testimonies. Like it's really not difficult. If you do want to practice discernment, it's not difficult to say, hey, let me practice some discernment. Let me really listen to what's being said. Let me see what's going on uh, because they're saying that it's a revival. I need to test the spirits to see whether or not this is truly of God. So again, something that really stood out to me was the emotional aspect of it. Um, emotional to the extent that people are just saying it's just so peaceful. It's so restful when you're there. It's such a sweet spirit. Everybody is together and they're singing and they're worshiping. They're praying together. And I have heard multiple accounts that there is, when, th when these groups of people get together to pray, that there is much confession. People are, people are admitting that they're struggling with particular sins um, and they are expressing that they want to, that they are repenting and turning away from those things. And that's wonderful if this is genuine repentance, but even with repentance, here's the thing. If somebody has a moment where they say that they repent, but then from that point forward, or, or maybe even a brief period of time elapses, but then later on, they find themselves right back in, into those things and they're, they're living in those same patterns that they were living in before, we would say, well, there was, then we need to come back here and we need to revisit this moment where they said, I'm repenting, I'm confessing my sin and I'm turning away from it. Like we need to see what's going on here, right? We need to see if that repentance, that confession was truly genuine or if it was just a part of being in the moment, right? So right now there is a moment happening at Asbury. And it is it is a historical moment. And I'm not saying that to sound dramatic. A year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, I can guarantee you there's going to be people saying, hey, do you remember what happened at Asbury College in 2023? And I remember it was around Valentine's Day and there was this worship service that broke out and it lasted for days on end and people were traveling from all over the place. This is, it's a historical moment. It's going to go down in history, in some people's history books. It'll be there. It'll be online. So there's a moment happening. It's being called a revival. We as Christians have a call from the word of God to practice discernment, to test the spirits, to see whether or not they are from God. I want to read a couple more quotes uh, from articles. Some of these are direct quotes. Some of these are just things that I wrote down from websites. So I don't want you to think that I'm making any of this stuff up. Uh, this revival started uh, uh, a man named Zach Meerkrebs or Meerkrebs, trying to pronounce that correctly. Um, his I haven't found a link to the sermon that he that he that he preached or anything like that, but I found this quote on two different websites. It says that he was clear 
before he spoke that he wasn't sure what the call to confession or the call to repentance was going to look like that day. But he preached a sermon that included the theme of seeing God not just as a father, but as a friend, someone who is there when you need to cry, mourn, rejoice, dance, or anything in between. Okay, that that is all I've been able to find. Not saying that there's not more out there. I have looked. Uh, I'm not an expert on internet research, but I've I've dug a little bit, and I can't find anything other than that about the message, the sermon that seemingly sparked this revival. Um, so there's not much to go on. What I will say is even this concept of oh. Don't just view God as a father, view him as a friend. That's more of an emotional approach to the gospel. That's an emotional approach to the scriptures. Um, Now, Jesus tells the disciples, no longer do I call you um, disciples or or," he says, I call you friends. Um, So that's significant. there's There's a small connection there, you could say, because Jesus tells the disciples that I call you friends. Um. And then we're told, you know, greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And that was Jesus speaking of laying down his life for not only the disciples, but all those who would come to believe both now uh, and forever. Amen. So there's a, you could, you could make a case that there's kind of a connection there. But when it comes to God, we know that God is Father, Son, Spirit. And so when we view the Father, we view him as Father. We view him as a Father. When we view Christ, we view him as Lord, Savior. And yes, Jesus said, I call you my friend. But there's got to be this this reverence and this this holy awe that we have towards towards God. So all I'm going to say on that, because there's not much to go on, I have heard in my lifetime, I've heard sermons where people take this approach about God's your friend, Jesus is your friend. And without fail, they always end up veering off into an emotional approach. Hey, because Jesus is your friend or because God wants to be your friend, will you come to him? Will you let him love you? Will you accept what he has to offer? And so it it, it lends more into this emotional and decision begging which is what we talked about in the last podcast and the last installment, is that much of the preaching in today's world lends itself to emotionalism, which results in decision begging, which puts all of the focus on man. But that was last installment. I just want to make a note there um, that that's interesting. Just consider that because you might have heard the last installment and thought, I don't really see what Caleb's talking about. I don't, I don't see the emotionalism. I don't see the decision begging or anything like that. And so just something to consider there. But um, that was that was what I could find about the sermon that was preached. Another quote that I saw, um, I didn't get the name for this, uh, but it says that what is going on at Asbury is a worship-based, spirit-led, scripture-fed prayer gathering, just what we should be doing all the time. Now, I want to come back to that phrase in just a moment. I want to finish the quote, though. Waiting before God, worshiping, praying, listening to him, responding, and being shepherded by others who are facilitating what God is doing. 
We should be doing this all the time. I want to focus on that because if you take what he just said there, singing, work, singing and worship, prayer, and um, being together, unity, and there, there, there are sermons being preached. So the preaching of the word, singing together, praying together, confessing our faults, we should be doing that all the time. That should happen at every church service that we go to. That should happen on the daily even if we're not at a church service, if we're with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should we should have time of prayer together. We should have time uh, time of rejoicing together. Uh, we should we should talk about the Word of God together. We should rejoice together. Yes, we can even sing together, even if we're not at a church service, right? So I agree with that part of the statement, and I agree with much of the statement. But there's something that really stands out to me, and this is a this is another common thread that I have picked up on in, in researching some of the stuff that's going on at Asbury. Notice what he said. He said, waiting before God, worshiping, praying. But then he says, listening to him, responding and being shepherded by others who are facilitating what God is doing. So this idea of listening to God is something that has really gained steam in the past few years, but it's been around for a long time, but it, it's gaining more and more steam the further and further we drift from sound doctrine, which y'all know we're, we're huge on that, Christianity proper, proper doctrine, proper life. The further we drift from sound doctrine, the more we're gonna be prone to accept false doctrine. It is a false teaching to think that God speaks to every individual Christian personally, like God will give you something just for you and he'll tell you where to go and where to get groceries and where to park in the parking lot. And God's not giving direct revelation just to every individual Christian. God has spoken to us through his word. So when he says listening to him, listening to God, now, if he means, because I don't know this man, if he means by that, listening to God, meaning the scriptures are being preached and we're listening to the word of God, cool. But if he means by that, listening to him, like we pray and then we sit back and we just listen, God, what are you telling me? God, what are you laying on my heart right now? God, what would you have me do? No, God's not speaking in our ears. God's not giving us direct revelation. Um, so that's not how God works. And you can go to Hebrews chapter one for that. Hebrews chapter one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through him, through whom also he created the world. So in these last days, now he has spoken to us through his son. If Christians want to hear God speak, we hear him through the word. God's not giving personal direct revelation to every single believer. You say, Caleb, do you ever say that the spirit like led you to do something or, or caused you to think about something? And sure, whatever, yeah, there's times that I feel very strongly I need to go do a certain thing or whatever else, but it's typically directly related to what we're already told to do from the word. Um, so we don't need extra revelation. We don't need that personal internal revelation. We need to just hear from the word of God and be obedient. And that's it. Now, the reason that I think that this listening to him may be the latter where people literally are just sitting back and saying, okay, God, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? What do you want me to do? And I'm listening to God and he's gonna give me a private message just for me. 
Um, I've read on multiple accounts that there are intentional times of silence as people listened to what God wanted to tell them. So intentional moments of silence where people listen to what God wanted to tell them. If a Christian wants to hear what God is telling them, open the Bible. Open the Bible. All Christians everywhere have have the same message from God. He's not giving us private revelations that are individual just to us. God has revealed himself to his people. God has spoken to his people. We need to submit to that. We need to repent of where we're not submitting to that. The scriptures are sufficient for all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you've heard me say that before. We've read from 2 Timothy uh, over and over again on, um, on this podcast that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If scripture is able to make us equipped and fully equipped and to make us complete, then we don't need private revelations or anything else. And if we don't believe that, then we don't believe scripture. And that's the problem. If we don't believe that scripture is sufficient and that God has already given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, we're gonna venture out into uh, very troublesome waters, okay? So again, if you're just tuning in uh, live, which if this is the podcast, you've been listening the whole time, which is great. But if you're just tuning into Facebook Live, this is not, I'm not here to say that what's happening in Asbury, you should just swear off of it and you shouldn't go check it out or that you should go check it out or that it's absolutely a revival. This is a call to discernment. This is a call to discernment. We need to think about these things. When I read that there are intentional moments of silence where people are listening to, God, to what God wanted to tell them, that is troublesome to me. That is very troublesome to me because that is not how God speaks to us today. We don't just sit still and just wait for God to like give us a fresh word or to give us a fresh anointing or anything like that. Those aren't biblical concepts. You will not find them in scripture. You will not find them in scripture. What does that mean? It means if you practice those things, you're practicing unbiblical traditions. That's what that means. So that's troubling. Then there was another quote here, what is happening at Asbury is pleasing to God as his children are uniting to sing his praise. That's wonderful. God's people uniting to sing his praise is a wonderful thing. That's a great thing. And here I want to be clear, there are some good things that I'm reading from this. This is not, I'm not here to bash. I'm not here to say whatever. This is a call for discernment. So as I'm studying these things out, I say, okay, well, I've read a few things where people are confessing sin or repenting. Um, people from across different denominations are coming together and they're, they're lifting their voice in song together. And they are, they're claiming to be worshiping together. And it doesn't matter if they're, you know, Baptist or charismatic or Methodist or whatever else, like they're coming to this place to worship and and they're, they're not concerned with the denomination or, or whatever else. And so you, you see some, you see some flashes of things that are that would be perceived as good, that would be perceived as uh, on the surface level, you would say, well, these seem to be godly things. And there are sermons that are being preached here and there scattered throughout the revival. They are allowing men to come up there and, and, and share a sermon and to share a message. Um, that's a good thing. Um, so 
The last thing I want to read here. People are hungry to see God work. And I think that is what draws the crowd. They want to see God doing something great in our lives. Um, Oh, that was it. Sorry. They want to see God doing something great in our lives and in our midst. So people are hungry to see God work. I think that's what draws the crowd. They want to see God do something great in our lives and in our midst. Um, so that's an interesting question. And that's, listen, it is a, it, for a Christian to say, I want to see God continue to save souls. I want to see God sanctify his people. I want to see God purify his people. I want to see God glorified in our cities and our communities and our counties and our states all across America. I want to see God glorified. That's a wonderful thing. That's an amazing thing. We should all be on board with that concept, with that mindset. However, if this is more of the emotional approach to things, then for us to use vague language that just says, we want to see God move. We want to see God do something. Again, it could lend itself to a place where we're not really practicing much discernment. That we're just, oh, well, there's a lot of people coming. There's a lot of people crying. There's a lot of people singing. There's a lot of people with their hands lifted up. There's a lot going on here. This has to be a move of God. So here's where I want to pose a question. What are we calling revival? What are we calling revival? And are we following the biblical patterns of what revival looks like? Okay. So um, don't jump to conclusions. That that That's really... That's one of the biggest things that I wrote down in my notes is I want to encourage everyone. This is a call to discernment, but I also want to encourage everyone, don't jump to conclusions in one way or the other. Don't jump to the conclusion where you say, there's no doubt about it. This is definitely a move of God. This has to be a God thing and nobody can convince me otherwise. But also don't jump to conclusions and say, no, this is fake. It's phony. There's no way that this is of God. God's nowhere in this. Uh, and nobody can convince me otherwise. Don't jump to conclusions. Something is happening now in the days ahead, in the weeks, months, and years to follow. Let's see. Let's see if there's biblical fruit that comes from it. Let's see if there's true spiritual fruit, God-honoring fruit that comes from it. So what do we do in the meantime while we wait? We practice discernment. We see what are some of the fruits that's already coming from it. Are they practicing biblical discernment at the revival? Okay, and I do have some more quotes that I'm going to share in a moment. But here's, he, I wrote down a list of things that I found like every news article, every Facebook post, every YouTube video that's been posted. Here's some common things that I saw everywhere connected to the Asbury revival. Again, people saying that there's peace, comfort, joy. There's a desire to stay. People are like, I don't want to go home. I just want to stay here where it is peaceful, where it is so joyful, where there is singing. I want to stay here. I don't even want to have to go back to work or go home and go back to my regular life, so on and so forth. The presence is here. Now that's when people start saying the presence of God is definitely here. We've got, we need to practice discernment on that. You can't, we can't just say, well, they said it. So must be a God thing. Practice discernment, but a lot of people are saying you can feel the presence. You know the presence of God is here. Freedom from anxiety and depression. Hey, that's a wonderful thing. If if people are seeking God and and God is is overcoming their anxiety, their depression, and they're they're receiving reprieve or release from those things, wonderful. Awesome. 
Great. And uh, rest. There, I think there was a few articles where I, I came across the word rest. It's just a restful spirit, a sweet spirit. I've already mentioned those things. But there's a lot of singing. They call it worship. I'm not going to call it worship. That's not me. That's not me being nitpicky. Worship is everything. Worship is all of the Christian life. All of Christian life is meant to be worship. So this is just a personal thing that I do daily, not just with Asbury. I don't call music worship. I call it singing uh, or singing in worship. Um, but preaching, there's preaching in worship. Like it, it, it's all worship. When you go to a church service, um, the singing is worship. Giving and offerings is worship. Uh, listening to the sermon is worship. If you're a pastor, the way that you preach your sermon is worship. When you come home, how you handle your home is worship. How you talk to your kids is worship. Like it's all worship. So I, I know I kind of went on a rant there, but I just want y'all to be clear. That's why I'm not calling the singing worship. I'm just calling it singing. So there's singing, there's testimonies, tons and tons of testimonies being shared. There's prayer. There are reports of confession, open confession, repentance of sin. And there is some preaching. And I, I kind of, I don't want to go too big and, and overemphasize it, but I do want to point out that there's some preaching. There's not, it, it's not based on preaching. It, there's not preaching all over the place, but there has been some sermons that are shared. There's some men that stand up and preach. So testimony, singing, prayer, confession, and some preaching. So these are that we look at all of this and we say, okay, let's practice some discernment. Now, again, I've told you my concerns. I'm not here to try to get you to think like I think. This is a call for discernment and it's a call to not jump to conclusions. Please practice discernment. What I see, what Caleb sees as a pastor, as your brother in Christ, what I see when I'm looking at this, there are some red flags to me. There's a lot of emotion. There's people saying that there's, you know, the spirit is moving. God is here. There's people praying together, people crying, people rejoicing. But it it's all like, that's it. It's all like right there at that surface. Oh, God is here. It's peaceful. It's comforting. Oh, God is here. It's a sweet spirit. You can feel it. Oh, it's comforting. We were emotionally moved. There's people crying. There's people laughing. We're singing together. It's all kind of surface level. And for good reason, this revival is only a few days old and we're not going to know the true genuine fruit of this until a little bit of time has gone by, okay? So just based upon what I'm receiving so far, what I'm looking at so far, yes, I do have some concerns that a lot of this is emotion-based, Yes, they're using the name of Jesus. Yes, they're telling people that um, that they're using terminology. Jesus is Savior. If you salvation is is from the Lord, they're using all those terminologies and and everything, and that's wonderful. Those are biblical terms, right? But when I'm listening to these people talk, when I'm listening to the testimonies that are happening at the revival, it lends itself a lot towards the emotion, and there are just some blatantly unbiblical things that are being said and being practiced and they're not being shut down. They're not being shut down as not biblical, not godly, as falsehoods, right? Before I go any further, I want to read some scripture because before I get into the details about people who are sharing testimonies and so on and so forth, uh, I want to give 
some biblical backdrop to this because as a believer, it's not a... It's not about what Caleb says. It's not about what pastor so-and-so says. It's not about what your favorite Christian says. We need to understand if we're going to practice discernment, we need to understand some things from scripture. What are we calling revival? So in the Old Testament, and I just picked a couple of Nehemiah and Josiah. So in what happened in the account of Nehemiah, in the account of Nehemiah the people of Israel were brought back to their land. The wall was rebuilt the law was read. So the scripture was read to the people. And then there was others that were walking through the crowd and they were giving understanding. So they were making sure that people not only were hearing the law, but that they were understanding it. And, um, and that it was literally everybody who had returned, the law was being read. And then there were people going out and they were making sure that people understood the law, understood the word of the Lord. Well, that's significant because what followed is nationwide repentance, nationwide repentance and a renewing of a, they made a, they covenanted with God. So there was repentance and then there was a covenant with God and it was all based on the word. It was all based on the word, the law, the word of God that he had given to his people was read. The people heard. There was people that were making sure that they understood. And then there was nationwide repentance, right? King Josiah, uh, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. He was eight years old when he began to reign. Uh, they were doing some work on the temple, just to, to paraphrase this. They were doing some work on the temple. They were re rebuilding the temple and they were cleaning, cleaning out some stuff that hadn't been cleaned out in a long time. And they actually found, they literally had to rediscover the word of God to his people, the law, the tablets, the commands. When the king is informed about this, when Josiah is informed about this, he, he rents his clothes. He tears his clothes mourning. He immediately recognizes we have not honored God. We have been going, our fathers have gone against God. We have been disobedient. And to summarize real quick, there was an immediate move all of the false gods, all of the false idols, the vessels, all of the false priests were brought forward. The, uh, the books of false teachings, anything that went against the law, anything that went against the true command of God was, was crushed, it was burned, it was done away with, completely and utterly destroyed. The false prophets were, were removed of their duties. They were relieved of their duties. Um, they were done away with. A purification immediately took place. And there was repentance on, 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 the, on behalf of the people and they covenanted with God. And you know what it was based on? The word. It was based upon the word. The word was read. It, oh yeah, that, they did that. They got the people together. It was, hey, we found these tablets. We found them. Everybody needs to hear. We're gonna read this. There was repentance and they covenanted with God. You could even use... Nineveh, to use an ungodly nation where there was a revival that broke out. Jonah brought the word of the Lord. The people of Nineveh heard. They repented in sackcloth and ashes and God relented of his anger. What was it based on? The word of the Lord came to the people. They heard, they understood, they repented. In the New Testament, one of the, one of the things that, that people will automatically go to in the New Testament is the day of Pentecost. 
So Acts chapter two, let's read just a brief snippet here. Acts chapter two, now this is verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of, of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So this is not a, a deep dive into tongues, but I want to be I want to want to be clear on something here. They heard in their own language. That's the miracle of tongues. They heard in their own language. But what did they hear? What did they hear? The mighty works of God. They were hearing about God. They were hearing the works of God. And then when Peter begins to preach, we get kind of even more insight into this. He quotes from the prophet Joel. And in verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then he quotes David, <clears throat> verse 29, uh, I'm gonna jump over that quotation from David, but keep, keep in mind, make a note, he's referring back to the Old Testament. He's referring back to the word. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you, are, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. What happened at the day of Pentecost? The works of God, the word of God was proclaimed, was professed. The people heard, they understood, and they repented. They heard, they understood, and they repented. In John 16, um, when we're reading about <clears throat> the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 12 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This is Jesus speaking to the uh, disciples. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. When, when you hear of revival, it typically, the spirit of God is moving. The spirit of God has fallen. There's an outpouring of the spirit. Well, then it, it's important for us to understand what the spirit of God does. 
The Spirit of God leads us into all truth. The Spirit of God glorifies Christ. The Spirit of God does not bring the spotlight onto himself. The Spirit of God does not speak of his own accord. The Spirit of God guides us into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So this is important. The things that are happening at these revivals, are they consistent with the teachings of Jesus? Are they consistent with Jesus in his earthly ministry? The things that are happening at these revivals, are they centered and focused on glorifying Christ, Christ alone? Or are there unbiblical, unchrist-like practices that take place? Um, I already read, all right, yeah, I read Hebrews 1. Um, again, for the people who say, oh, I think that I think God gives us a word, a fresh word each and every day, or we get we get new revelation from God, or I get to, I, I talk to God one-on-one. No. Long ago, God spoke to our fathers in various and sundry ways. Uh, but now he has spoken to us through his son. Scripture is able to make us fully equipped for every good work. We don't need fresh revelation. We don't need a word. We don't need a new word of God, a fresh word from God. We have his word. God has revealed himself to his people and God has given his people his word. Our responsibility is to know God, to meditate upon his law day and night, to hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him to know his word, to study the word so that we can be fully equipped into, into every good work and then we be obedient to his word. We submit to the authority of his word. That's our responsibility, okay? Um, the fruits of the spirit. If we go to Galatians chapter five, we can clearly see the fruits of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. So we read that and we say, wait, some of those things, joy, peace, um, goodness, there's that sweet spirit. Some of this seems like what they're talking about at the revival. Okay, good, you're practicing discernment. You're picking up on some key words. You're saying, okay, well, there's a little bit of this. There's a little bit of that. That's not good, but there's a little bit of this. This seems to be good. Let's continue to practice our discernment. But when people speak of revivals or a move of God, we literally have it for us in scripture. This is the fruit of the spirit. This is what the fruit of the spirit looks like. So if we're seeing things that don't mesh with scriptural guidelines and people are saying, this is the spirit of God. This is what it looks like when God moves, but it's not the biblical outline for what the spirit does and how the fruits of the spirit looks, then they're lying. It's not of God. And you say, well, that's a harsh stance to take. It's not harsh. It feels harsh in today's world because nobody calls anything out anymore. But that, if you think about it, that's a fairly simple conclusion to come to. Scripture tells us how the spirit works. Somebody comes along and says, oh, there was a mighty move of God. You say, oh, well, what happened? They say, well, the spirit was working. You say, okay, well, what happened? And they describe things that happened that are contrary to the scriptural guidelines or the scriptural outline of how the spirit works and how the spirit moves, then it only makes sense to come to the conclusion, scripture is right, let man be a liar every single time. God is right, let every man be a, be a liar. And they think, they think this is a move of God. They might think and they might feel that it's the spirit of God, but it's not. Well, how can we know that? How can we know what's of God and what's not of God? Study the word. The fruits of the spirit are clearly given to us. 
The Spirit leads us into all truth. By the way, in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, Father, sanctify them in the truth. So the Spirit leads us into all truth. Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says this, your word is truth. Christians are people that have been, and I'm, I'm gonna use some figurative language here, but Christians are those who have been bathed in the truth. Christians are those who have been washed in the truth, that we rejoice in truth. Um, we, we know truth. We walk in the truth. We abide in the truth. So when something comes along and it's outside of the biblical standard, when it's outside of the scriptural uh, standard, then yeah, we say we can't, we can't accept that as truth. We, we can't accept that as a, a, a true thing of God or, or a true move of God, regardless of how emotional it is, regardless of how powerful it seems on the outside. We are told from scripture what it looks like when the spirit works, what it looks like when souls are regenerated, when it, what the fruits are after the spirit regenerates somebody, the fruits of the spirit that are at work in people's lives. So just a few passages of scripture there. And, and then again, from 1 John chapter four is where it literally tells us, test the spirits, test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. We have that as a biblical mandate test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. So let's continue our little exercise in discernment. These are some direct quotes. Um, I'm, I'm gonna read a bit of a testimony that was shared by a young man named Gage. And then I'm gonna share a little bit of a sermon that was preached. Uh, I did not get this guy's name. I couldn't, I couldn't hear it if they said it and I couldn't find it in the comments or anything. Um, but I did listen and it was, and it was about a 15 or 20 minute little sermon. Uh, but I wrote down some stuff there that he said, but let, let's start with this, um, with this young man whose name is Gage. He mentions that, that they had been crying out for revival, but never seen it. He didn't even know if it was real. And then he brought up his college where, where he's going to school right now. And he said, these are his words. They lock you in a prayer room and tell you that you got to ask for it. And I'm just like, God, I'm asking. So what he's talking about here is they, some of these schools and some of these churches even, they, they encourage their people, you got to pray for revival. You got to ask for revival. You got to pray for God to bring revival. You got to pray for it. You got to pray for it without going into it, that's just something we're not, I don't think you're gonna find much scripture that encourages Christians to just continually nonstop pray for revival, pray for revival, pray for revival. We pray that God's will be done. God is the one who brings revival. God brings revival in his time. Now, hear me, don't go too far with what I just said because I do think it is practical and it's good and it's biblical. I live in Glenville. It is, I should be praying God, um, continue to save souls here in Glenville. God, sanctify Glenville, purify Glenville through your word, through the preaching and teaching of your word because we know that faith comes from hearing. Sanctification comes from the spirit leading us into all truth and you're shaping us and you're molding us into the image of Christ. And so salvation, sanctification and being fully equipped for every good work comes from the word. So that's good for us to pray for things such as that nature. But for me to just 
plop myself down in my room every single day and just pray, God, send revival. God, send revival. God, we want to see a revival. God, send it. God, send it. God, send us a revival. God, let your fire from, fire from heaven fall down. No. No, we pray for God's will to be done. We honor and glorify him in our, in our simple obedience to his word. We share the gospel with others. Uh, we are a light that shines in the darkness and, and we're called to be that. And God, God is faithful to send revival if he wants to send revival. Um, so anyway, if you're not familiar with that, there are colleges, churches, there's people who really promote this idea of literally locking yourself in a room and just praying for revival, for God to send it, send it, send it, send it. It's unbiblical. It's wrong. So it would seem, yes, my, my hunch, my hunch is that Gage is probably tied up in some pretty heretical, unbiblical, ungodly practices. Yes, that's my concern for Gage. Um, I don't know the man, but I have that concern because I know this language and this language is not biblical. It's not. And to, to prove that even further, so he says, God, I'm asking. And then he refers to his friend. His friend says to him, if Jesus just localized himself and sat his throne in a room, why would we not drive six and a half hours to go see him? That's a very troubling statement. If Jesus just localized himself and sat his throne in a room, why would we not drive six and a half hours to see him? Now you may say, oh, he's just using figurative language or he's using, you know, he's using very illustrative language and he's just expressing himself. That's how he feels. That G I don't think so. Here's why I don't think so. There is a common practice that, again, is gaining steam where people believe they can, they can call heaven to earth, they can bring heaven to earth, where they can just pray for revival nonstop, 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 and that God will literally invade earth with heaven. And it's, it's unbiblical, it's ungodly, and it's built upon like mysticism and spiritualism, okay? So when Gage says that my friend told me if God, if Jesus just localized himself and sat his throne in a room, why would we not drive six and a half hours to go? I pick up on that lingo. I pick up on that language because there's so many false teachers and so many false churches and so many false prophets that are leading people astray with that type of lingo, with that type of language. Here's what concerns me about this Asbury thing. Uh, and I don't know that this happened and, and, and maybe they could, and, and you could, you could split this up and you could say, well, maybe they just didn't want to be rude to Gage. Maybe they wanted to let him finish or whatever else. Caleb, maybe after his testimony, somebody else took him to the side and said, hey, we want to talk to you about what you said. Your friend was under the impression that Jesus like sat his throne in this chapel room and uh, we need to talk about your doctrine a little bit. And if that happened, praise God. I'm not saying that I, I cannot guarantee that it did or didn't happen. I'm just viewing these videos. I'm doing some research and these are red flags to me as I try to practice discernment about what's going on at Asbury. It is very concerning. They let him finish, okay? And so he finishes. Another thing that he said during his testimony, though, I didn't write this whole thing down, but this is verbatim. I've watched his testimony at least 10 times now. He said, God told me, I want you to go to the altar. And I said, I don't feel like going to the altar. And God said, I'm gonna need you to go to the altar. This is another common thing, sadly, that people do. 
they don't just say that they hear from God. They say that they like have back and forths with God. Like, well, God told me to go to the altar, but I said, I, I don't, I don't want to go to the altar. I don't feel like going to the altar. Let's just say if, if we really did hear from God, we're not going to have a rebuttal. And if he does allow us to speak, it's not going to be like we're talking to our buddies and say, I don't feel like it. I don't want to do that. Oh God, that seems crazy. I don't want to do that. No, absolutely not. And so that was another thing that stood out to me. He said, God told me, Gage, I'm going to need you to go to the altar. And I said, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to go to the altar. And God said, I'm going to need you to go to the altar. Like he's having this back and forth conversation with God. No. And again, that practice is directly con directly tied to the people who lock themselves in rooms and pray for revival and say that heaven can invade earth and so on and so forth. All of that's interconnected. So I'm, as I'm listening to this, to my friend Gage speak, I'm like praying for him. God, if, if he's deceived, open his eyes. God, bring him out of this. I'm not, uh, it's not that I'm judging Gage. My heart breaks because I know that this false theology, this bad doctrine, this heretical stuff is leading people to hell. You say, Caleb, that it's leading people to hell? Yes, because it's not leading them to Christ. Now I'm speaking of Gage and what I think that he's involved in. I'm not speaking of just Asbury right now. I'm speaking of Gage and what he is involved in. If he is involved in that type of thinking and that type of, uh, of belief, it's not leading him to Christ. It's leading him to hell. That's how serious the deception is. Absolutely. Now, on this topic of his friend saying, if, God, if Jesus just localized himself and sat his throne in a room, why would we not go? Here's something that is very sobering to me. I want to take a moment to consider false teachers because some of you may be hearing this and say, but that, that can't be. This has to be a move of God. There's people, that are, there's people that are rejoicing and they're singing songs. And Caleb, you said there's even some preaching going on. I get it, but here's the thing. Satan appears as an angel of light. So it could be, again, I, I think you know where I stand. Yes, I see some red flags, but I'm not just trying to get you to take my word for it. Practice discernment, please. Caleb sees some red flags and I'm sharing those red flags with you. Um, something that is fascinating to me and it's very sobering to me to consider about. And in, in your case, you might think this has to be of God. There's clearly some, some God stuff going on here. Satan appears as an angel of light. The strongest deception is that which most closely resembles the truth. The strongest deceptions are those that most closely resemble the truth. That's why we have to practice discernment, Right? So people will say, well, how could this not be God? If people are crying, if people are praying, if people are saying they want forgiveness or what, how could this not be God? If the doctrine is off, if it's not biblical, if the things that are being preached and taught and shared are not scriptural, if they're not God honoring, then, then yeah, there's a chance that it's not of God, that it's man-made, that it is just emotionalism that it is just feelings. But I want to read from Matthew 24 here. Matthew 24, verse 24, or sorry, verse 23. This is immediately following, uh, and, and Matthew 24 is a, what some refer to as an end times passage or what some people look to and say, oh, all of that was fulfilled in AD 70. But either way, 
Listen to how Jesus describes false teachers and false prophets here and listen to how he describes the deception. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Let me pause there briefly. There's so many people that say, oh, somebody was legitimately healed. Oh, somebody, there was a legit miracle. Somebody was deaf and now they hear. Here's the thing. Even if that was the case, even if that was the case, if somebody was straight up healed of an earthly malady or an earthly disease or something like that, here's the thing. Doesn't mean it was of God. You say, but it, that was a sign. I mean, that was miraculous. Sure. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. You say, okay, Caleb, somebody heals somebody. How do you know if they're really of God? What do they preach? What do they teach? If they do not preach and teach and practice sound doctrine, they're not of God. If they do not walk in the light as he is in the light, if they do not submit to the teachings of Jesus Christ himself, the full authority of scripture, because Jesus himself is the very word of God, if they don't submit to the scriptural authority of God, they're not of God, even if they have great signs and wonders. Even if they have great signs and wonders, if they do not submit to the authority of scripture, they are false prophets. They are false teachers. They are not of God. They will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray. So as to lead astray. What is the results of all these great signs and wonders from the false teachers? What are the results? People being led astray. They think that it's the truth. They think that it's biblical. They think that it's Christ honoring. They're led astray. They're led astray. That is the deception. Oh, this looks like Christ. Oh, this looks godly. Oh, this looks good. And they're led astray. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That's how strong the deception will be. Those who God has chosen for himself before the foundation of the world that he has claimed as his own possession, that he has redeemed through the blood of his son, that he has regenerated and sealed through the work of his spirit, the chosen, the elect of God, if possible, which it's not, but if possible, even they would be deceived. That's how strong the deception will be. That's a very sobering thing to think about. Especially as we look at this revival, so-called, at Asbury. It stands out to me so much that this revival is different. There's not a bunch of the hoopla. There's not a lot of the quackery that sometimes gets pegged as revival. It's peaceful. It's gentle. It, it's a sweet spirit. And it results in comfort, peace, a desire to stay. And that is something that the world we live in today, I want you to think about all of the mental illness in the world today, all of the depression and the anxiety in the world today, all of the stress-related illnesses in the world today, all of the anxiety that comes along with the social media age, um, so on and so forth. Something that everybody in the world right now is probably desperate for is mental rest, emotional rest, emotional comfort, mental comfort, 
a release. And if there was a place that we could go to where we were able to stop thinking about all of our problems or to feel not weighed down, to feel free from all of our problems, we would probably all be dying to get there. Now, does God offer true freedom through Christ alone? Yes. So that is a byproduct of true salvation. You have freedom from sin, freedom from the weight of sin, freedom from the penalty of sin through Christ alone. Can an emotional event, even an emotional event that lasts for days, can that mimic a release? Can that mimic mental, emotional freedom? I think the answer is yes. When we sing these songs endlessly, when we just sit there and we lay and we just, we don't speak, we just, we're just there, we just, we're just being. And we're just there and we're taking in the moment. Does that offer a type of mental release? Does that offer a type of emotional release where all of a sudden we feel detached from the world and all of its problems? Yes, absolutely. And this is, this is one of the biggest reasons why it concerns me that so much of what I'm reading about and seeing is based upon the emotions, the feeling that you get when you're there, the feeling that you have while you're there. It is concerning to me. Here's a, here's a quote from, from the sermon, the pastor. Sorry, I said pastor. I don't know that he's a pastor. I want to be accurate in all of this. He was a speaker. He's someone who stood up and he, he came to the stage and he preached. He was speaking from John 10. And so he, he goes through, let me just turn there real quick because he goes through, uh, the thief comes to, uh, to, to kill and destroy. Um, <clears throat> a stranger, well, sorry. He says, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If any enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And this is, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So that was the, that was the main thrust of this sermon. He, He says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Christ came so that you can have life and have it abundantly. You might hear that, that, that Christ lays down his life for the sheep and you might think, nuh-uh, that's not for me. And then he says this. We claim authority. That's very troubling. Before I even read the we claim authority. No, you don't. No, you don't. You can claim it. That means you got it. It's not biblical. That is claiming authority over the devil, over an auditorium, over a certain, we claim authority in the name of Jesus. No, you don't. You can claim it. Doesn't mean you got it. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Claiming authority, driving out demons. Um, what's the other one? Pleading the blood. Those aren't biblical practices. You won't find them anywhere in scripture. And if you don't find them anywhere in scripture, but you practice these things, 
you have an unbiblical practice. You have an unbiblical tradition. That's the very definition of unbiblical. It's not in there. You won't find it. It's not supported from scripture. That's tr- and that was the opening of the sermon. We claim authority. We claim authority. Jesus came for each one of you to have abundance. And then he says this though, to have an awakening lifestyle, to have awakening spirituality. Now, I don't know this man. This is not Caleb trying to to bash a particular person. Again, this is Caleb. I saw the Asbury revival. I wanted to research it a little bit. I wanted to see if God was really moving and I'm practicing discernment. So I'm listening to this sermon and the guy says, Jesus came for you to have abundance. Well, that's a vague term. Jesus came for you to have life, came to have salvation, came to have redemption. Jesus came for you to have abundance. That's troubling. But then he says to have an awakening lifestyle. What does that mean? What is that? To have an awakening lifestyle. But then he says to have an awakening spirituality. Being a spiritual person, being somebody who practices spirituality or religion or whatever else doesn't make you a Christian. You say, well, that's not what he meant. This is a Christian campus. Clearly, that's not what he meant. Maybe not. But why not use more biblical language? Why are we, why, why do so many sermons today incorporate biblical, uh, unbiblical language that's nowhere in the text? God, Jesus came for you to have an awakening lifestyle and an awakening spirituality. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry if that upsets you. This is, this is your brother in Christ pleading with you. Please practice some discernment. And when we hear stuff like this, it's not grounded in the word. Later in the sermon. Oh, by the way, the sermon, he used that, but then he said distractions. Uh, and there was another D word because it was an alliterated sermon uh, because it made me remember like, oh, this is how I was when I was at school and I was going through preaching classes. This is this is how we were taught to preach. We were, each one of your points needs to start with the same letter because it's easier for the listener to understand. Um, but distraction, maybe it was destruction. I didn't write down the whole sermon, but distraction was like the main thing even the altar call, it was based upon, are you distracted? Do you not want to be distracted from God anymore? Distraction was really where he planted his feet. Um, and he said, we, and I'm assuming he's meaning the people of Asbury or something like that. We've gotten word on things that can come against us on planes and in cars. And I'm not, I don't understand, I'm just being honest, I don't understand exactly what he was trying to say there. I don't know if he was trying to say, we got a word from the Lord about people who are coming in planes and in cars that are gonna try to hurt this revival. Like I, I don't know, that's my speculation because of everything else that I saw, but I'll, I'll confess that that's my speculation, that's my assumption. But here's what I know he plainly said after that, again, We take full authority by the blood of Jesus. Those things aren't welcome here. We take full authority by the blood of Jesus. That's not a biblical practice. 
God does not give us the freedom or the authority to just go into somewhere and say, we take authority here and no, no demon activity, no evil spirits allowed here because we take authority in Jesus' name by the blood of the Lamb. We're not gonna allow it here. We don't, we don't have that authority as believers. Uh, and and even, even, if you, even if you say, well, I wanna make a case that we do. Okay, well, if we do, why is it nowhere found in scripture? Not even the apostles practice saying stuff like that and practice doing stuff like that. It's not biblical. And when we get to the next bulk of scripture that I wanna share with you guys, passages about false teachers and stuff, we'll see that it's actually false teachers who blaspheme the glorious ones. So blaspheme demons and, and try to take authority against stuff. That's literally one of the things that false teachers will do. So these things um, these things are concerning. He the, Once he got to the altar calls, um, he said, if you're here today and you say, I want the abundant life, but I'm so distracted. Like I said, he really planted his feet on distraction. I want the abundant life, but I'm distracted. Please stand. Thank you for your courage. That was just something that stood out to me because if you want the abundant life, please stand. Again, it wasn't, you know, it, anyway, I think we've talked enough. You know where I'm going with that one. If you have stood up, then you have accosted yourself to receive freedom. So, so basically, if you've, if you've stood up, you've like allowed yourself to receive freedom or, or, or something along those lines. And, and that's kind of troubling. But again, the biggest thing I want to point out here is it wasn't redemption. It wasn't salvation. It was if you want an abundant life. And then it was if you've stood up, that means you want freedom. So you say, well, freedom, freedom from sin, that, that's salvation. If you want freedom from the world, then you need to get saved. And that's true. But why not say if you stand in need of salvation? If you, if you stand in need of repentance, if you need to confess and repent your sins as a believer that you've been distracted. But no, it was, if you want an abundant life, stand up. If you have stood up, then basically you're gonna get freedom. You're gonna get your freedom. Yes, it's troubling to me. You may agree or you may disagree, but it's troubling. It's not grounded and rooted in scripture. And like we, like we looked at in Nehemiah, when Josiah was king, even in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, true revivals, true moves of God are based upon his word. It's based upon the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And the people hear and the people understand and the people repent. And so there are some troubling things that are coming out of this movement as at Asbury. I want to read um, a couple of passages pertaining to false teachers. I know this is long today, but this I know I know it would be. Uh, I, this is not a topic or um, an event that we should take lightly. And and I know. Uh, let me go ahead and say this. I know that there's people hearing. Darren Jackson has already commented. I can't do this today, or I can't today, or something like that. Um, and that's fine. I know that this isn't going to gain me friends or popularity. I know that this isn't going to be a popular take, a good, a good spin uh, in the eyes of a lot of people. But please keep in mind, all I'm asking you to do, begging you to do, 
if you are a believer, please practice discernment. Don't allow yourself to be caught up in the emotion, in the whirlwind of emotion. Don't be don't be don't allow yourself to be caught up in in, in testimonies or just singing. Um, that and 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 even that is somewhat significant. You don't. Does true revival result in people just singing nonstop for four, five, six, seven, eight days? I guess you can make an argument that it could, but not really. I mean, it, it's great that people are wanting to get together and sing and pray with other people who profess to be Christians. Is it a revival? Don't jump to conclusions. Let's wait and see what fruit comes from this. Um, but that is something we're going to talk about what fruit might come from this. And that is another thing that's very concerning to me. And I want to share with you. But before I do that, let me read, please allow me to read uh, a couple of passages um, about false teachers. So in the book of Jude, Jude has much to say about false teachers, but but real quick, in like manner, these people, he's referring to the false teachers, in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So the glorious ones would be fallen angels, which would be demons, demonic entities, Satan himself. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but a blasphemous judgment, but said, "The Lord rebuke you." So not in the name of Jesus or in the name of God. He simply, "The Lord rebuke you." But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. So they blaspheme God and the things of God because they don't understand them. So they're blaspheming them. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. These false teachers are driven by instinct. They're driven by emotion. They're driven by feeling. They're driven by what naturally comes to them. Woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain and Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. They are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. So they feast with you. They're shepherding you. So what does this prove? Matthew 24, I talked about how severe the deception is going to be. And again, I mentioned that you might not be in the practice of, of discernment. And you might think, well, this has to be of God because look what's happening. They're singing to God. That it, Satan appears as an, uh, as an angel of light. False teachers aren't, so Hinduism, Islam, stuff like that. You got somebody coming to you that says, oh, I'm a teacher of Islam. You're not going to think, oh, well, they're trying to fool me. They're not trying to fool you. But they, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. You say, well, they're false teachers. Yeah, they are false teachers because those are false religions. But the false teachers that we are warned about that are able to deceive in scripture are the ones who are claiming to be Christian. They're claiming to be men of God or women of God. That's what makes it so deceptive. You want to believe them. You want to say, but they say that they're of God. But they say that they love Jesus just like I love Jesus. But they don't. They're the enemies of God. So what makes them deceptive? They might say the right things. They might even do the right things sometimes. But what 
If they're a teacher or preacher, what are they teaching or preaching? What are they practicing in their daily lives? Do they walk according to the word or do they practice and teach unbiblical things? So they feast with you, they're shepherding, but they're shepherding, they're feeding themselves. Okay, connection to John 10. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. True believers don't dwell in utter darkness forever. These people are false Christians and they're false teachers. Now, this is scriptural. I'm, when I say these people, I mean who we're reading about here. I'm not claiming that all the people in Asbury or these other revivals, that all of them are false teachers, but true false teachers that we're warned about from the word, utter darkness is reserved for them. They're not believers. They are not of God. But the picture of waterless clouds and, every, and, and, and wild waves of the sea, these false teachers promise great things. They, they promote great things, but they, they're never able to deliver on those promises because they're not of God. They're not of God. So that's Jude. By the way, that was Jude chapter eight, or chapter, verse eight through 13. Jude, verse eight through 13. Um, Second Timothy. Let me read from Second Timothy real quick. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, having the appearance of godliness, having the appearance of godliness. These false teachers, these deceptions, these false Christians, they don't, it's not easy to peg them like, oh, they are clearly of the world. They are a wicked person. They do not love God. They have the appearance of godliness. So how do we discern? How do we know what is truly of God and what truly is not of God? It does all come back to sound doctrine. Do we know the word? Do we practice and teach the truth? These people who are claiming to be teachers, preachers, these people who are claiming to be our brothers and sisters in Christ, are they submitted to the authority of God's word? Are they submitted to the sufficiency of scripture? And if they are not, if they are not, and if they continue in that, then they are not of God. They are lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Okay? But they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. What is the power of God? Don't, don't let anybody hijack this verse and say, yeah, people who deny that, that people can fall out in the spirit and get slain and speak in tongues, that's the power of God that people deny. No. The power of God is that which makes people lovers of God rather than lovers of self. That, the power of God is what makes people lovers of God rather than lovers of money or lovers of self. The power of God is that which takes people who maybe they used to be angry or abusive all the time and now they're patient and gentle and kind because they're born again. That's true godliness. That's the true power of God. The power of God is that which takes people who were dead in their trespasses and sin and raises them up to new life in Christ Jesus where they are literally made new. So don't let charismatics or anybody like hijack that verse and say, oh yeah, you know, people... People deny the power of God that does this and does that. The power of God is that which saves. 
and makes new. Let's continue reading. Avoid such people. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. So Janus and Jambres, think about the magicians that were in Egypt. They were able to mimic some of the miracles that were performed through Moses. So these false teachers, Paul just compared this to Janus and Jam, or compared them to Janus and Jambres, which means the false teachers will have signs and wonders, or they will have results that are similar to what God is actually doing and to what God actually does. In the same way that Janus and Jambres were able to uh, reproduce a few of the, the plagues or the few, few of the miracles that were done through Moses, these false teachers will be able to mimic and it will deceive many. They'll think, oh, this is God. This is of God. But it's fake. It's false. It's a deception. How do we know what is real and what is false? Is it consistent with the word? Is it grounded and rooted in sound doctrine? This is so important. This is why... Really, if you, were to, if you were to ask me, Caleb, why is Christianity proper, proper so important to you? Why did you even want to start this? Why do you want to put yourself out there? It's not me putting myself out there. This is a brother in Christ pleading with the body of Christ, in this case, to practice discernment, but it's pleading with the body of Christ to understand that doctrine Sound doctrine is simply nothing more than knowing what the scripture says, understanding it, being obedient to it, and sharing it with others. Sound doctrine is that which drives the Christian life. The life that we now live is not us, but it is Christ who lives within us, and we are to walk in the light as he is in the light, and we are to be obedient to all that he commands us to do. And we are to be knowledgeable of Christ and who he is. Where do we find that knowledge, and where do we find the commandments? Scripture. And Scripture is able to make us fully equipped for every good work. Scripture. Proper doctrine, proper life. We really do believe that because Scripture teaches it. If you want to know what to believe as a Christian, if you want to know what to do as a Christian, if you want to know how to how to lead your family as a Christian, if you want to know how to be a great mother as a as a Christian mom, uh, if you want to instruct your children, uh, it's it's all there in Scripture. It's all there in Scripture, but these false teachers will be able to mimic or reproduce things that look like true moves of God or true acts of God, but they're false and it's a deception. So yes, when I look at anything that calls itself a revival or anything that calls itself a move of God, I know that God himself has instructed us to test the spirits and we are to practice discernment. And if you're not practicing discernment, you're being disobedient. If you just look at it and say, well, I don't care what anybody says, I think this is great. You're not being obedient to the word of God. You're not being obedient to God. I'm begging every one of us, practice discernment and keep up with it in the days ahead. I'm, I'm gonna keep checking in with it and seeing what's going on. But these false teachings, I wanna come back now to what are some of the fruits that could happen? I don't know all of them. Here's what I do see happening. And this is another thing that concerns me. 
Keep in mind what Gage said, our buddy Gage. And I don't say that loosely or, or glibly. I'm not trying to pick on the man. When I look at Gage, I've never met him, but he's professing faith in Christ. So I say, this is my brother. This is my friend, Gage. I, I just want to be clear on that. I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to poke fun there. Um, another troubling aspect that I see with these revivals is there's already, we want this to spread across America. We want this to spread to every church or every college campus in America and everything. And then on top of that, there's other people, and this is no fault of Asbury. This is because of the, the world we live in today where everything's on your cell phone or on a laptop and everybody can share and post things lickety-split. But other people who are certainly, beyond a shadow of a doubt, false teachers and heretical are saying like, we're going to Asbury or we want to, we want to get some of the anointing from Asbury and we want to spread this to other places and... Again, that's no fault of Asbury or anybody that, that works at Asbury or anybody that attends school there, but there are false teachers that are like, they're trying to connect themselves to Asbury so that they can get some, so that they can get some clout for their own ministry, right? But there's this, this cry of, we want this to spread. We want this to spread. We want this to go. So with that, just some simple thoughts. What if other churches or other college campuses in America decided they were going to get together, sing, pray, and read the Word of God together? I think that would be wonderful. I think that would be wonderful. I really do. If every church said that, hey, for the next three days, we're going to get together, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to read the Word of God. I think that would be wonderful. I also think that's what ought to happen at every single church service you ever go to. The Word of God is preached. We pray for one another. We don't, we don't just have an opening prayer and stuff, but we genuinely pray for one another. We sing. If there's sin, we confess it. If we need to mourn, we mourn. If we rejoice, we rejoice. That's the body of Christ. That's what should be happening. That goes all the way back to that quote from the beginning of this. That, yeah, the guy, this is what we should be doing at all times. I, I agree with part of that statement. If we're talking about praying, singing, and reading the word, which includes preaching, yeah, we should be doing that all the time. Amen and amen. If, if what we want to happen is for everybody across America to seek the emotion of peace, comfort, a sweet spirit, so on and so forth, and we want people to have an experience, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. I, I don't pray for an experience. I don't pray for people to feel emotions like that. I think it needs to be more than that. I think it must be more than that. It must be that people's eyes are open to the truth of God's word. Our eyes are open to our own sin. We repent, we confess, and we follow Christ in genuine faith. So it's got to be more than the emotions, more than a sweet spirit. It's got to be more, more. 
So it's not that I don't want people to have to experience a sweet spirit. It's not that I don't want people to have joy or to feel that emotion. It's got to be more than that in order for it to be a revival. If it's not more than that, then it's just a passing emotion. We have good days and bad days. Tomorrow I might make a, I, I, I might wake up and feel joyful. The next day I might wake up and feel like I don't want to get out of bed. Did I experience God one day and not experience God the next? No, we're human. We have emotional ups and downs. We have good days, bad days. Some claim that it has already spread. Some claim that there's other churches that have been having revivals that have been going on for months. And this is where I want to get into a warning, right? So we're shifting gears. I want to be clear on that. We talked about Asbury. We're, we're starting to shift gears now. I want to give a warning about some of these other things going on. There's a church in Florida. I think it's Miramar Beach or something like that. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. But it's called the Open Door Outpouring. The Open Door Outpouring is heretical, evil, and wicked. I want to be very clear on that. The Open Door Outpouring is heretical and wicked. There are definitely spirits at play at the Open Door Revival. They are not godly spirits. It's not the Spirit of God. It is not the Holy Spirit. It's wickedness. It's evil spirits. You say, Caleb, that's a that's a bold statement. No, it's not. It's not a bold statement to make. It's just a plain biblical statement. What is happening at the open door outpouring in Florida is not of God. It's not. It's deception. It's falsehood. It's heretical. It is unbiblical. It is ungodly. But already I've seen a Facebook post that's lumping these things together. God is on the move. Asbury, open door outpouring, this place, this place. Encounter church in Texas. Let's be very clear. If there is a church or denomination or just a pastor, maybe it's just the pastor, that supports things that is in direct contradiction to Scripture, that is blatantly unbiblical and blatantly against God, you can rest assured that if there is a move of anything, it is not the Spirit of God. It is not the Spirit of God. God is not going to bless or to move among a people that are making a mockery of His holy name and of His holy word. You can bank on that. God is not mocked. God is not going to bless a people that is in open rebellion against him and his word. The open door outpouring is foolishness and deception. What is happening in Miramar Beach is not of God. If you are someone who has been supporting that, saying that it is a move of God, you are supporting something that is openly ungodly, unbiblical, and against God. Stop it. Please, for your own sake, stop. Stop. Churches and denominations that support things like LGBTQ affirming that God celebrates that, God ordains that, 
and even even things like female pastors, because yes, it is blatantly obvious from scripture that the office of pastor is for a male. That's without question. That's just simple reading the Bible, understanding what it says. It's not that God does not use women. It's that the office of pastor is for men. Churches, denominations, pastors that, that fly in the face of that and say, oh, we'll ordain women. There's no problem with that. And they teach other people that the Bible supports that. They're, un, they're in open rebellion against God and his word. LGBTQ affirming um, churches that support homosexual marriage and, 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 and orda- or, uh, ordain homosexual ministers, things such as that. Uh, but even church, let's talk about some things that never get talked about. You know, churches that will not confront issues of adultery or issues of, of sin within a church. Uh, all of those things, we're, if we're caught up in any of that, we are in open rebellion against God and his word. God's not going to bless that. God's not going to move among those people. People who say that the Spirit of God causes people to lose control of their faculties and and laugh uncontrollably or roll roll around uncontrollably or or to feel like they're on fire and stuff like that, it's not biblical. God's not going to honor that. That is not the Spirit of God. There's nowhere in Scripture that supports that people fall out, lose control of their faculties, laugh uncontrollably, feel like they're on fire, scream, or anything. What you do see in Scripture is people who are demon-possessed who do all of those things. Demon-possessed. Again, I know that this podcast or this video is not going to earn me many friends or make me too popular or whatever else. I'm begging you, please, as your brother in Christ, practice some discernment. Churches like the, I think it's called Open Door Church, so Open Door Outpouring. Churches like that are, to me, I'm going to use the term leeching or hijacking. That was um, Alyssa Childers, really good ministry on YouTube. Uh, And that's a woman, by the way, so I'm not against women. Uh, Alyssa Childers has a really good uh, discernment ministry on YouTube and uh, Christian ministry there. Um she used the term hijacking, and I think it's an appropriate word. There's, there's churches or people that are trying to hijack just the, the popularity of Asbury, and they're trying to connect it to their own ministry or their own outpouring. Uh, but I, again, I've seen Facebook posts where people are just clumping these together. Asbury, Open Door Outpouring, Encounter Church in Texas, and so on and so forth. If it's, not, if, if it's a church or a pastor or a denomination that supports unbiblical, ungodly things, you don't even have to really think about it. You can guarantee that's not the Holy Spirit moving unless they are repenting of all their ungodly, unbiblical practices and turning back to the word. It's not a true revival and it's not a move of God. It is, it is that simple in that case. Um, other people, there's a lady that I've never heard of, uh, Krista Elisha. She's an apostolic revivalist. She she latched onto it, said, oh, God's on the move and everything else. She's an apostolic revivalist. There are no apostles today. There's no new apostles today. Um, new, in Revelation, New Jerusalem has 12 foundations and it's the names of the apostles. We're not adding to the foundations of New Jerusalem. We're not adding to those foundations. There's no new apostles, but that's another podcast for another time. P. 
people already say, oh, Bob Jones, he made a prophecy about when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. So everything, Bob Jones was, Bob Jones was, was a wicked man. was an evil man. He led many people astray. He's a false teacher. He's a false prophet. He taught, he taught false doctrine. And that makes him an evil, wicked man. But I saw one this morning where Bethel Austin, so Bethel Church, but they, I guess they have a campus in Austin. Now they just started to have a revival. Now the guy who initially shared this, I think was Brian Simmons. If you're not aware of who that is, he's the one who came up with, and I'm emphasizing that, he came up with the Passion Translation. It's a man-made thing. And he says that an angel appeared to him in his room and basically gave him the Passion Translation that was going to reveal the heart of God. Nope, Brian Simmons is a false teacher. Bethel is a false church. Uh, they are not Christian. Church, I'm not saying that there's not some true believers that might be caught up in Bethel and eventually they'll get out. But Bethel is a false church. Bill Johnson is a false teacher. He's a false prophet. They practice and teach false things. Um so I can guarantee you this revival that happened at Bethel Austin is not a move of God. It is a move of evil spirits. Because as a Christian, yeah, I believe that demonic activity is real. Evil spirits are real. And what is happening at Bethel Austin is not of God unless they turn and repent of all their unbiblical teaching and break away from the Bethel name but here's what Brian Simmons said in the tweet or on the post. It says that people are laid out onto the floor and they can't get up. They're laying on the floor and can't get up. So they're singing from the floor. But it's they're laying on the floor and they can't get up. Like there's something holding them down. When has the Holy Spirit ever operated in that way? Where people fall out and can't get up. It's not of God. It's unbiblical. It is wrong. So when I hear the people at Asbury, and this has nothing to do with them. This is not their fault. But when I hear the people of Asbury say, we want this to spread. We want this to, to go across college campuses and churches. And then I see that these, these unquestionably false teachers and false churches are latching onto it and saying, oh, well, it's catching fire here and it's catching fire here and it's catching fire there. Yes, that is very concerning because here's what I think is going to happen. And I'm not a prophet, but as a Christian and as your brother, here's what I see could happen. This could be some of the fruit from Asbury. Churches across America. Believers across America, young and old, get fully caught up in the deception of false revival. And they believe that because they had an emotional experience, they sang and prayed and, and talked with other believers that they met with God and the Holy Spirit was moving. But let's take it a step further than that. What's going on at Asbury is very different. It's calm, it's peaceful, but these other places are latching onto it and they're trying to feed off of it. People who may have never practiced or may have never believed certain things 
let me be more specific, people who have never practiced or believed false doctrines or false teachings, but they're not practicing discernment and they want to go to these places where revival is, they're already fully convinced this has to be God, this has to be a move of God because they're not practicing discernment. So they go to these places where maybe there's a fire tunnel, where maybe people are falling out and screaming and shouting and they're already convinced that this has to be God and so they participate and they go and now they're fully swept up and fully caught up in blatantly false doctrine and false teaching. That is a concern that I have. Now, ultimately, I know that the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. They do not follow the voice of another. But I do think, I know that there are there is such a thing as a weak Christian, an unstable Christian, and they do get caught up in false doctrine for a season. And I can definitely see that happening in the days ahead. I can see people from different churches that are saying, hey, you see what's happening in Asbury? That's gonna happen here. We're gonna bring the revival. We're, and, and, and that is something. So we want this to spread. We want you to take this back to college campuses. We want this to take this. We want you to take this back to your church. Revival is something that God brings. Revival is something that God spreads. So it's one thing to say that you were revived or you were born again or you were sanctified or you confessed sin and and then you go back to your church or you go back to your college campus or you go back to your family and you testify of Christ. You share Christ. Well, then you're, you're sharing the gospel. You're sharing truth. It's not that, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the torture revival and then I'm gonna share it. I'm gonna take it somewhere else. No, just share the gospel, share Christ. We can't, we can't force revival to go anywhere else. We, we, we can't take it anywhere else. We, you've probably heard the phrase, revival starts with us. No, it doesn't. Revival starts with me. No, it doesn't. Revival starts and ends with God. God's spirit will move at the exact time in the exact ways that the Father has ordained. The spirit moves and works chiefly, I would say, through the preaching and teaching of the word of God, the preaching, teaching, and study of the word of God. The Spirit leads us into all truth. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified in the truth and his word is truth. So these are many things. Um, we've moved on from Asbury. These are many things that I have concerns with. And if you, if you are someone that you're caught up in these things or you have a pastor who supports certain things that, that you're starting to see that they are unbiblical, they're not right, uh, they are dangerous, then, then stop it. Please don't support them. And if you see things that are called a revival, now, again, we're specifically talking now, open door outpouring and Bethel, Bethel Austin or Bethel Reading, any of the Bethels, anything that's Bethel, it's false, it's not of God. Um, the, the rampant rise in women pastors, the rise in LGBTQ affirming churches, the rise in homosexual ministers, the rise in churches that are saying, oh, well, God used to be this way, but now he's changed and we this, that, and the other. You can rest assured God's not in that. God is not going to bless or move among a people who are in open rebellion against him. Um, all, I, all I can do is say this. Can't make anybody believe it. I'm not out to hurt people, to upset people. I'm not out to be mean or to be 
negative or to be negligent in how I say things or or whatever else. I I did my best to read from Scripture. We talked about false teachers, what they look like, um, that they are going to have false that they are going to have signs and wonders, but they're still false teachers and that they love themselves. They're really just out for themselves. and But they are going to lead people astray. It is going to be very deceptive. We talked about what the Spirit, a couple of places where what the Spirit does, the Spirit leads into all truth, the um, the Spirit convicts, um, the, the Spirit fell. You could say, I know people like that terminology on the day of Pentecost, but what, happened. People heard the gospel. People heard the works of God in their own language. And then Peter spoke plainly a message that everybody could hear. Uh, could hear. Um, and so these are the things that we need to consider. Biblically, we looked at the fruits of the Spirit. Biblically speaking, how does the Spirit operate? How does the Spirit move? Um, and we can and we consider those things. And that's what that's the standard. What does Scripture say? Um, we looked at Matthew 24, even that Jesus said that the deception, it'll be so strong that even if possible, if possible, even the elect would be led astray. We looked at what I'm going to use that term. We looked at revivals that took place in scripture from Nehemiah, the life of King Josiah, Nineveh, looked at Pentecost. And so this isn't, uh, and if you perceive it that way, I can't do anything about it. That's fine. But This is not me trying to bash or to be hurtful or to be careless. I'm simply asking you. You don't have to think like me or whatever else. I'm asking you as your brother in Christ, please practice discernment, not because I say to, but because scripture tells us, 1 John chapter four, that we are to test every spirit, test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. That is important. If you want to talk about this, if you have a gripe with something that I said, you can you can comment here on Facebook or whatever, um, if that's your cup of tea. Um, if you do comment on Facebook, I'm probably going just to try to call you or to try to meet up with you. I would love to meet you in person, talk with you, pray with you, study the Word of God with you. If you have a disagreement or if you agree, I'd love to get in touch with you. My number is 912-339-4211. You can reach out anytime. Um, so this is just your friendly neighborhood brother in Christ trying to reach out to you and, and ask that you practice some discernment as you consider these revivals that are taking place, have discernment. We did issue a warning. If you are supporting things that are blatantly unbiblical, blatantly ungodly, repent, turn away from it. Um, if you see something that calls itself a revival or a move of God and it's connected to a pastor, a church, or a denomination that is blatantly unbiblical and an open rebellion against God, you can guarantee that it's not of God. It is not the Holy Spirit moving. It is some other spirit that is moving. But please reach out. We would love to hear from you. Um, even if you, even if it's negative, again, I'm not gonna try to get you to change your mind and think just like me. I would love to study with you talk with you, get to know you. We want to see the body of Christ edified. We want to see people come to the knowledge of the true faith. Um, And we want to study and grow alongside the body of Christ together. So I know that this was a long one. I knew that it would be. Um, If if you think this was beneficial, if you enjoyed it, um, if you think that it would help somebody, please share it. we're recording a podcast at the same time right now. So if you don't follow us, our podcast is Christianity Proper, Proper Doctrine, Proper Life. We'd love to have you 
Um, subscribe to the podcast, follow the podcast as well. Um, but again, we love you. This is done in love, love for God and love for the brethren. Um, no, I don't have all the answers. No, I'm certainly not perfect. Um, God continues to sanctify me and, and our family each and every day, but it burdens me. It breaks my heart to see that there's, there's already a deception here and that deception could be about to to take off and spread like a wildfire. That is, it breaks my heart. It's concerning. It's sobering to see from scripture what scripture says of false teaching and how it damages the faith of others and how it leads to destruction. Um, So please consider these things. And again, we would love to hear from you. Um, Thank you for joining us on this installment of Christianity Proper. We hope to see you next time. Have a great day.